Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. Coming up on today's show, Amazon is trying to unload some crap in an update on their effort to provide internet to the world. 5G networks could interfere with weather forecasting in the future. We will go for a ride in the studio on a bird scooter. And in Profiles in IT, it's Wilhelm Bjorkness, the father of modern weather forecasting. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Look at that. That's perfect. We got an email from John in Houston. Dear Tech Talk, I've been thinking about creating a Linux installation media, either on DVD or USB flash drives on my home computer and then selling them on eBay. My question is, can I legally do that without getting kind of legal troubles? I see other sellers are doing it, but I don't want to get caught with some kind of sting. John in Houston. Well, the answer to your question, John, is uh, is uh, that it's uh, it's actually legal to sell free software that's distributed under the GNU public license, called GPL for short. And in fact, that includes all of the Linux distros, distros short for distributions. Companies like Red Hat have built a profitable business by doing just that. All the popular Linux distributions or distros can be downloaded from the web for free by anyone with a computer. Now that might make it selling that might make selling them kind of tough because anybody can just get it for free. So you've got to add something of value to the product line. That's that's what Red Hat does. They add something of value to the product line. They they provide support. They've got the drivers embedded in it. So you could you could provide uh, support. You could uh, help them get the drivers in order to do it. So they have something other than just a distribution. And then you probably could sell this on eBay. And you're certainly not breaking any rules. We got an email from Susan in Alexandria. Hello again, Dr. Schertz. I always thought you had to make an Ethernet connection to your router to change the Wi-Fi password. Is that no longer the case? That's why I asked how to connect a tablet to the router with an Ethernet cable, not so that I could surf the web. That We had a letter from Susan a while ago. She wanted to hook her iPad to the router by Ethernet. I couldn't figure out why. Uh, now I understand what she's trying to do. I appreciate your advice on what's required. Thanks for Tech Talk. It's always interesting. Susan and Alexandria. Well, Susan, you can configure everything on your router without connecting to the Ethernet cable. You can do it, you know, you can just do it uh, via... The uh, once once you you can just do it via Wi-Fi, but you've got to basically set it up. And so the initial setup, because there is no Wi-Fi configured, you've got to hook it to an Ethernet cable because you can't attach it by Wi-Fi if no Wi-Fi has been configured. And then what you can do is once you have uh, connected to Wi-Fi and once you've set it once you've set it up with uh, 
with, you know, using the Ethernet cable, you can then log back onto the router and you can change everything. You, you can change the, uh, the, the, the Wi-Fi password. You can change the, the login password at will. Now, of course, if you change the Wi-Fi password uh, and, and you reboot the router, you'll have to put that same Wi-Fi password in your, in your iPad so it, will, so it will log on. But once, you've, once you're connected to the router by Wi-Fi, you can change any of those parameters simply by logging into it. You don't have to go back and use, um, use Ethernet. So I hope that, hope that helps you with that problem. We got an email from Wendy in Fairfax. Dear Tech Talk, my daughter helped me get on Facebook so I could talk to her and my grandchildren and share pictures back and forth with them. Now, she sent me a lot of pictures last night uh, and posted them to, my, to, post them to Facebook, but I'd really like to print them, but I can't figure out how to do it. Could you tell me how to print the photos from Facebook? My computer's Windows 10, Wendy in Fairfax. Well, as you've already discovered, you simply can't right-click on a Facebook photo and print it. That, that option doesn't exist. Fortunately, there's an easy way to print pictures without using any third-party software. Just scroll through your, your Facebook photos till you find a photo you want, and then click on that photo to open up its own page. Right-click on the photo and click Save As, and then save that photo to your desktop. Then right-click on the Save Photo, and you could select Print from the drop-down menu. You could you could print it to your printer right from your, um, you know, right from your uh, computer, and that's not really a problem at all. Or you could, if you want, you could you could go to these online print services. You know, I like I use Costco a lot. You you set up an account with an online print service. You can simply upload the pictures to the online print service, and they'll they'll make real prints for you, and then mail them to you. And so, so you, you'll be able to print these, and you'll also have a copy of all the pictures on your computer. We got an email from Lily in Fairfax. Dear uh, Doc and Jim, I'm getting delayed notification on email that I sent. I'm trying to send an email to my coworkers, and I keep getting the following message. Delivery status notification. Delay. This is automatically generated. Uh, you do not need to resend your message. The strange thing is it only happens with a specific email address. What does it mean, and why is it happening? Enjoy the show, Lily and Fairfax. Well, Lily, you're, that's part of the protocol, the email protocol. Um, email uses a transfer method called store and forward. When you send an email, it's actually received by a mail server, stored for a period of time, and then forwarded to the next server on a path that ultimately gets to the recipient. And eventually it lands on your recipient's mail server where it's stored until the recipient downloads it or reads it online. Now, the time that the server holds your message before forwarding is typically very short, which is why the email often appears to be nearly instant. But there could be many reasons why there are delays along the path of your recipient. The most likely delay is that the recipient's mail server is temporarily offline. Now, rather than fail to deliver the email, your mail server keeps trying to pass the message along and then it tells you we're trying to deliver the message, and then it sends you a delayed message delivery. It says we haven't delivered to the final mail server, but you don't have to do anything. It keeps trying for around five days. Then finally it stops, and when it stops trying to send your email, you'll get a failed delivery message. Now, if your message is urgent, you might just try giving them a phone call. That could go right through. So that, that, that messaging system is part of the basic email protocol. We got an email from Tong in Ohio. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm trying to call my friends in Vietnam. I'd like to use a cheap Internet connection. What are my options? Love the show, Tongan, Ohio. Well, there are a number of voice over IP options. Now, if your friends also have Internet access with data, the calls are completely free. If they don't have the data connection, you'll have to call them on a landline or their mobile phone connection. 
Now, there are a number of uh, voice over IP connections. You know, you've got Skype. They could either be on your laptop, on your cell phone. The Skype client is free. And if you call another Skype client, there's, there's no charge. Now, if you're calling a landline over there because they don't, they don't have a data connection, then there would, you, there's a Skype out charge. And you just basically load your Skype account with a few dollars, and I and the, and that you basically are charged a few cents a minute on Skype out. Uh, now I like to use Viber for my uh, my connection. Now if your friends have um, if your friends have Viber on their phone, the, the the phone just automatically rings. They don't have to have Viber open. And and if um, if they don't have uh, if they don't have uh, you know a cell phone or internet connection, and you have to connect to a landline, you can also do that through um, Viber, and that's called Viber Out, as you would expect. And you just have to char- charge your Viber account up with a few dollars, and then you can do the Viber Out. Now, now the the uh, most ex- the, 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 probably WhatsApp is is probably the voice over IP application that's used the most in Asia. Everybody uses WhatsApp over there, and that's for and you can do. Voice over IP calls, you can do video video calls, and that's really popular. So I'm going to suspect that your friends are going to have WhatsApp over there in Vietnam. Now, in my case, I, also I have at home, I've got UMA, which is voice over IP system for the house, and I put about $30 in my prepaid UMA account. So if I call overseas for, with my home phone, it just dials at voice over IP, and I basically get what amounts to like a Skype out rate or a, or a Viber out rate just for my home phone. So I'm I'm always doing voice over IP, no matter what what I have. We got an email from Jim in Michigan, dear Tech Talk. I keep seeing this option to eject my USB drive before removing it. Is that really necessary, or can I just pull it out? Enjoy the show, Jim in Michigan. Well, computers use something called write caching to improve performance. If you copy something to your drive, it will tell you. If you copy something to your drive, it in order to go fast, it copies it to a temporary memory location, and then from that temporary memory location, which is called cache, C-A-C-H-E, which is called cache, it, it, it sends it to, the, to, your, to your thumb drive. And, uh, you know, this, this actually allows, allows you to do a lot of processes and not type your computer doing that right in case the thumb drive is very slow. Now, in the old days, when computers are really slow, um, there could be a delay between when it comes from the memory cache and goes on into RAM. So, if you would pull, if you'd pull out the thumb drive before the cache had emptied onto your, onto your thumb drive, you would, you, you would damage your data. So that's so what they do is they have this sort of eject notification that says press eject, and and that makes certain that. All the program, all the program data has been written to the thumb drive, and that you can safely pull it out, and there's nothing in cache. Now it turned out that you know Windows actually changed the way they operated, and they now, they they and now it's almost they now write almost instantly to your thumb drive, and so that's really not a problem now. Windows changed their operating system to get rid of that delay, but still it's. It's a good idea to eject it, so keep all your data safe. We got an email from Lee in North Carolina. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm having trouble connecting my new Bluetooth speaker to my laptop. Sometimes it works, other times it just won't work. What can I do to get a reliable connection? Love the show, Lee in North Carolina. Well, Bluetooth depends on both hardware and software to work properly. And, and now what you can do about pairing failures, first of all, the pairing is when you link the two 
Bluetooth devices together. Make sure Bluetooth is turned on. It might be turned off in your, uh, in your uh, laptop. Determine, determine which pairing process your device employs. And the pairing, uh, the, the pairing process varies device to device. Sometimes, uh, for example, involves tapping a code into your phone. Other times you can just physically touch the phone to the device you want to pair it with. Now, in the case of, like, my Bose SoundLink speakers, I have to hold down a button on the speaker to pair it with the phone. And when I hold down the button, it turns on discovery mode, and they can discover each other. Now, once you are in discovery mode and, you know, and it finds your iPhone, like in the case of a car, if you're connecting to your car and your car system finds your iPhone, there will be a little numeric code that you have to confirm, confirm to finish the link. You know, now, if, the, if, that, if none of that works, make certain the two devices are close enough to each other so that – because Bluetooth is only good for about 20 feet or so. Yeah. And now, if that still doesn't work, what it always works best, just turn off both devices and turn, turn them back on again and, re, and, re, you know, and, and reinitialize everything. That's always, that's always a good thing to do. Now, also – Turn off any likely interferers. You see, it could be that somebody else's device is getting in there and connecting to the speaker first. And your speaker can only connect to one device at a time. So maybe your spouse's device, so iPhone or mobile phone, is connecting to the speaker. Mm-hmm. And, once it's, and once it's connected to, to that other phone, you can't connect. So anything that could possibly be interfering with it, just turn that off. Now, Now, the last thing you could do is you could just... Delete the device from the phone and then rediscover it, you know, if, if you're not linking to. So you just, uh, just delete, delete the connection from the phone and then and let, it, and let it be rediscovered. So that would be a way to – so these are all different techniques that, that I've tried over the years, and they, uh, one of them always works. Now, also, if you're too close to your Wi-Fi router, that can interfere with, with Bluetooth. So you, you don't want any big heavy-duty interference in the, same, in the same frequency band as Bluetooth. Now, uh, you know, also it could be a driver problem if you, if you can't get linkage. So you want to download the latest device drivers and then make certain that you've got the latest device, the device drivers on, both, uh, on, both, on both, both sides. So I hope that's going to help you get a reliable connection to your Bluetooth speaker. We got an email from Mary. Dr. Schertz, uh, here's the speed of my FIO service. I get 10 megabyte upload and 5 megabyte download speeds. Um, now, I only have Fios Internet. I don't have any phone. I don't have any, anything else. I just get the, the, the straight Internet, and I get, I get one of the lowest packages you can have. I'm only paying $47.99 a month, which is not, not a bad thing. Now, I got UMA because you had recommended it, but I'm having trouble uh, having UMA phone calls uh, through my home, uh, through my home uh, router. When I talk to people, they say that my voice is intermittent and it goes in and out, and so that's a problem. So is there something wrong with my upload or download speed that UMA won't work? Of course, UMA is a, is a voice over IP system. You just plug it into your router, and then you plug your, you know, your, your, your wireless phone system or your wired phone system in the house right into UMA, and UMA then converts your phone signal within the house to um, – to voice over IP and sends it over the internet, so you don't have to actually have a landline, and you can transfer your old landline number right to UMA, and nobody even knows that you've given up the landline. And I've I've been doing that for years. Now, the issue is though, if you don't have enough upload speed, that you you, you may not be able to have good voice when you talk to someone. But but I but 
But Mary, I'm looking at your upload speed. You got 10 megabit upload speeds, and you got five megabit download speeds. You got plenty for Uma. Now there is a problem with there is actually a, so you don't have a bandwidth problem. You you could have a latency problem where there would be a delay, a delay in your in your system. So you could check for latency. You can go to broadbandreports.com and. Uh, and there's a tool to test for speed, and, and that you can double-check your, your upload and download speed, and it'll also give you a, a latency number. But I suspect that's not your issue. There is a problem with the interconnect between UMA and Verizon for some customers. Apparently, Verizon is, is, uh, is not playing nice with UMA, and so there have, there's been a lot of discussion on it, and Verizon is working to fix that problem. Now, if you want to check it out, you can just... You can just Google voice quality UMA Verizon, and you'll, and you'll get that thread. And uh, I, I think that will be resolved. Uh, but I think it's not your router. It's not your upload and download speed. It's, some, it's some related to some interconnect with Verizon, and I think Verizon is going to fix that. We got an email from Led by Brain. Dear Dr. Schertz, this is, uh, this is how my main Gmail account is set up. I've enabled POP, Post Office Protocol, IMAP, and I... And I'm archiving all my deleted emails. I want to be sure that I have retained a copy of all messages sent for the last 18 months. Will this ensure that? I am using uh, an Apple Mail client to view this account. I found an article on the Internet that said Gmail will delete sent mail if it's not saved. Thank you. Led by brain. Okay, let's talk about you've you've emailed. You've got post office protocol. That was the original protocol used for... For email, and that actually transfers the emails to your computer on the post office protocol. Now you have to, con- if you want to leave the emails on the server, and you've enabled POP, post office protocol (POP), you have to make certain that you that you do not configure it to delete the email on the server after it's been downloaded to your computer. Um, I actually don't think you need both Post Office Protocol and IMAP. IMAP is a is is another protocol that actually leaves the emails on the server. And when you use an IMAP interface to your email account, you're actually looking at the mail server itself. And and then whatever you do, whenever you delete something from the mail server from your IMAP account, it's just deleted on the server. And if you if you don't delete it, it stays there. So I don't. It's not clear that you need both POP and IMAP. I would recommend you just go with with IMAP, and it's it's a it's a good idea to archive deleted emails. They're always going to be there. So I don't think that you are really going to lose any emails with that configuration unless you've misconfigured POP to delete the emails from the mail server after it downloads them to your to your client. I'm going to suggest you don't use POP. Just use IMAP. Now, one thing that's sort of tricky is that when because uh, Google, Gmail threads everything together. So if you send an email to somebody, it goes to the sent messages. But if they answer it, that sent message is threaded onto their answer. And so the sent message shows up in your inbox as, as connected to the, the, the reply that you got. So some people think it's gone, but actually it's just threaded in with, with a reply. And so that might, that might be where the confusion is on the sent email. But... Um, I, I think you should have no problem keeping you know keeping all your emails with with Gmail. Now, if this is critical stuff, I don't know that I would use a free service for for critical files. I mean, um, 
because you never know what Gmail is going to do in the future. I've never had a problem with Gmail, but if these are critical business files that you cannot lose, um, I, I would uh, I would make certain that you you have another copy of them. Now, one one thing I guess one thing by using Pop Post Office Protocol, you're downloading the emails to your computer. If you configure Pop not to not to delete them from the mail server, then you actually have them two places, and that might be. That might be uh, a good way to give you some sense of uh, security there. We got an email from Duke. Dear Tech Talk, I coach a local sports team, and all the communications with my team are in Hotmail. Unfortunately, I can't access my email when I travel overseas because I lost the phone that was my that was used for you know uh, two-factor authentication, and I you know I don't I don't have, even have that phone number anymore. Ah. So how do I get into my Hotmail account if I no longer have access to the phone number that I set up during login? Well, it turns out, Duke, that when you travel to other countries, um, Hotmail, Microsoft actually requires that in addition to you know your password, you also have to provide a code. They Because they, there's been so many cases of people breaking into Hotmail accounts in other countries, they then force two-factor authentication if you try to log into Hotmail from another country. And so... It's critical that you that you have access to your other phone now. So the uh, and if you if you now the if you lose your phone you and it may be that you put into your configuration of hotmail of hotmail another a secondary email address, and you could have you could have the the two factor authentication sent to another email address if you've configured it that way. Now if you don't have any way. To, to recover while you're there. They do have, Microsoft does have an account recovery process. And and they'll send you a code that you can use to get into your account. But it, in order to, for them to send you that code, you've got to prove that you are who you are. And this is how a lot of, you know, identity theft gets on. So you've got you've got to, you've got to give your name, your birth date, your location. You've got to answer sec- all the security questions that you've given to them. You may, they may ask you, some of the past passwords on the account that you could remember, and that that would prove that, you know, that's something that only you would know. They might ask for some subject lines of emails that you sent recently. They might have any the names of folders that you've created in your account. They might ask for email addresses of contacts in your contact list. They might ask for billing information, including credit card information, if you've associated that with the account. These are all things that would be hard for somebody to provide if they weren't actually you. And the goal is simple. you just got to prove who you are. And then what they do, though, in order to make certain that nobody is going to, you know, steal this account quickly, they delay sending the reset password for 30 days. And then they send emails to the active email accounts with in the Hotmail account to notify the user that somebody has requested a, uh, a password recovery procedure. Then that way, if it turns out, that it was somebody trying to steal your account, there's 30 days here to sort it out so they just don't give your account away. I think it's a pretty good system that mm-hmm. they've got. But best of luck, and you really have to be careful with your two-factor authentication and keep your phone number. We got an email from Bill Connolly. Gentlemen, I recently reinstalled my Dell Latitude with Microsoft, uh, with Microsoft uh, Windows 10. Now, I stored all my documents to an external hard drive. Now, prior to the system reload, I removed the folder encryption on all folders because I'd encrypted everything. I made certain that the file titles were, uh, that were in green now were all black. Nothing was encrypted. 
Unfortunately, I failed to notice that my Outlook PST files, that's where all your email is stored, were st are still encrypted. I didn't decrypt my Outlook files. Now, since they were encrypted under the previous operating system, they're now inaccessible. Address book and all email files are out of reach. Do you have any way to get at them uh, other than using decryption <laughs> or other than having NSA come in here and decrypt it? <laughs> Okay, your assistance would be most appreciated. Well, if you encrypt data on your computer, you need a way to recover the data in case something happens to the encryption key. If your encryption key is lost or damaged, you do not have any way to recover your data. The data is gone. Now, you will also lose data if you store your encryption key on a smart card and the smart card is damaged or lost. To make sure you always have access to your encrypted data, you should back up your encryption certificate and key. Back that up. Now, encryption is managed by the certificate manager, which is opened by typing cert, C-E-R-T-M-G-R, into your search box, and you'll, it'll pop up the application certificate manager. Using this application, you can either import an encrypted file or back up your certificate. Now, if you imported the encrypted file, you'll have to then point to a particular certificate, an EFS certificate, Encrypted File System Certificate. If you did not back up your EFS certificate, your files are lost. But your um, encryption manager should be able to track it if, in fact, you did back it up. Best of luck. I hope you don't lose all that email. We got an email yeah. from John in Fairfax. Dear Tech Talk, I just came back from vacation. I had over 2,400 photos on my memory card. And when I went, when I went to offload the photos to my computer, the card was reading blank uh -oh. i now and i know that i don't did not reformat the card is there any hope for me to recover the pictures that i took thanks john well john you have three options you could take the memory card to a different computer and see if a different computer can actually make sense of it because it could just be the the reader is is actually failing now if so just copy the data immediately to that computer and then back it up. Secondly, you could try a data recovery utility like Recuva, Recuva, <laughs> R-E-C-U-V-A, and you can get that from, uh, you can just search Recuva, R-E-C-U-V-A, and, and you can get it from ccleaner.com slash Recuva. And finally, you could go to a data recovery service. This will cost you money, but for 2,500 photos, it's worth it. And there are data recovery services that can go in there and they can recover data from your memory card. But I would try Recover first. Now, but 2,400 pictures without a backup is not good practice. What I usually do when I'm traveling and I'm taking a lot of, uh, a lot of pictures that are going to be on a, on a card, I, I might have a laptop with me, and I'll periodically copy all the pictures to the laptop so I've got it stored two places because... 2,400 photos without a backup is not good practice. It, if that memory card went through a metal detector in an airport, could that have messed it up? Uh, theoretically, no. Okay. But they, 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 they actually, it's fairly low level of radiation, so you, that should not mess it up. It probably was messed up by, you know, mishandling it some way or mm -hmm. or. Or writing, or while it was writing, pulling it out, mm -hmm. something, something like that. Now, the other thing that you can do is, and and what I do is, is you can, is you can back up to the cloud. And like when you've got, say, take pictures with an iPhone, 
it's automatically backed up to the iCloud. So even if you even if the phone's gone, it's it's finished. You can in fact buy memory cards for digital cameras that have Wi-Fi connectivity. And so you can connect these memory cards to Wi-Fi when you're traveling, and then you can upload the data to the cloud hmm. every night. Uh, and so I think you probably, unless you, unless you, if you don't want to carry a laptop around, I think you should have some sort of method to upload it to the cloud every night whenever you're at Wi-Fi. Then you're then you're only going to be having one day's worth of data, uh, you know, at risk. Right. We got an email from Mike in Alexandria. Dear Doc and Jim, your show is very informative, and I enjoy the historical profiles. Now, I've been an Android user for years, and have been upgrading my phone every two or three years. Now, I'd like to keep some of the old phones that, for emergency purposes, to repurpose them as media players or whatever. And I'd like to optimize the number of amp apps on them and perform some sort of reset to refresh them. But I don't want to reload and configure each app at the at you know when when I reset them. What's the best way to delete apps and keep ones that I still want to, you know, still want to use? And how do I reset my old phones to get back in pristine condition? Uh, you know, I'd like to hook them up to Google Play if that's possible. Well, uh, I'll tell you, Mike, when you transfer when you transfer your number to a new phone, your old phone will automatically be disabled because there's there's going to be a it, you didn't say if you're CDMA or GSM. There's a SIM card, or else you will. If you're CDMA, there's no SIM card, and they'll actually direct they'll actually transfer your phone number to the new phone. And the old phone will not attach to the cellular network at that point because it has no authorization. However, your old phone will connect to the Internet through Wi-Fi as always. So you can still connect all your old phones to your Google Play account. So you can, you can download apps to them and, and you can have multiple uh, devices attached to the same Google Play account. However, you can only stream music to one device at a time. So if you're streaming on an old device, you can't stream on the new device. You got to pick. You've only got one stream coming out of Google Play. So that should actually work. There's really if you if you reset your phone, it's going to it's going to basically delete all the applications. There's no way to reset the phone and then keep a few app. It's either all or none. So you're going to just have to go to your phone and just delete the applications that you don't use. And there's you can actually get get a list of of the applications that are that are not really being used that often, and you can you can figure out which ones to delete. But um, it's not a bad idea to keep an old phone because you can keep it as a media player. There's actually software where you can set it up as a as a webcam, as a security cam. There's all sorts of applications that you can use to repurpose an old phone to something else. And you know, and actually, a security cam is not is not a bad idea. Yeah. So um, good luck with all your old Android phones. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and on the web at federalnewsnetwork.com or stratford.edu. Watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. I think he's on drugs yes, today. Yes, I think so. He's a little bit slow, but he we're going we're gonna to have to check on him. Today mm-hmm. we're going to feature Wilhelm... Freeman, Corin Berhutnes. Okay. Well done. Thank you, thank you. You practiced that all night, didn't you? I did. I've been working that all night. Wilhelm Berhutnes is a Norwegian physicist, of course, and meteorologist who founded the modern practice of weather forecasting. Wilhelm Berhutnes was born March 14, 1862, in Christiania, Norway. Wilhelm enjoyed early exposure to fluid dynamics. I mean, this is like, you know, he grew up with fluid dynamics because his father, Carl Behrkness, discovered by mathematical analysis that actions between pulsating, oscillating bodies in a fluid, and he was able to put bodies in a fluid, oscillate them, and they would be linked through fluid dynamics to each other. And he actually analyzed that mathematically. And so Behrkness saw his father's work on fluid dynamics, and he became very interested in fluid dynamics. Uh, After he, and and working as an assistant to his father in his research. Now, when he went off to school, uh, Berkness became assistant to Henrik Hertz in Bonn. Now, you know, Hertz, you know, we have like, you know, Hertz was a big electromagnetic guy, like frequency. Megahertz? Megahertz, yeah. Megahertz. Kilohertz are all named after Hertz. Uh, because he worked on electromagnetic waves. And so Hertz worked on electromagnetic resonances, and he was talking about different frequencies. And uh, Berkness proved experimentally the influence that conductivity and magnetic properties of metallic conductors exert upon electric oscillations, and he measured the depth to which these oscillations would penetrate metal, and, and he discovered the skin effect, as they call because they only go so far and then they're damped out. And so he actually measured the penetration into the metal and measured the skin effect. In 1895, he furnished a complete theory of electric resonance, and these methods contributed much to the development of wireless telegraphy. In fact, Marconi used these ideas because if you if you shake something back and forth, it will resonate, and it will then transmit. And so this was the basis of you know wireless telephones, radio, and all of that sort of thing. 
1895, he became professor of applied mathematics and mathematics physics at the University of Stockholm. And he worked on uh, highlighting the fundamental interaction between fluid dynamics and thermodynamics, with his major contributions being equations which were used in climate models. Because you see, the climate models, thermodynamics relating to the temperature, the flow of heat, you know, you have thermal layers, and fluid dynamics because air is like a fluid, and you and they're all linked together. So he actually began developing equations could be used for climate models by combining fluid dynamics and thermodynamics. Now his work inspired others to apply it to large-scale motions in the ocean and in the atmosphere and to make modern weather forecasting feasible. Now see back then they didn't they didn't have computers. This was in the in the 1800s. They didn't really have computers. The Herknes himself had foreseen the possible applications as early as 1904. Now, his work was supported by the Carnegie Institution, and he became actually a research associate at the Carnegie Institution. And while he was there, they published a couple of books, Statics and Kinematics, Dynamic Meteorology, and Hydrography. And so these were published in 1913, and they formed the basis of modern weather prediction. So these were the actual physics, the modeling that was needed. But we didn't have the, uh, the processing power to, to actually make it happen. In 1907, Verhoekness returned to, the, to Oslo, to the Royal Frederick University, became a professor of geophysics. In 1917, he founded the Geophysical Institute at the University of Bergen, where he wrote a book on the dynamics of the circular vortex with applications to atmosphere and atmospheric vortexes and wave motion, and laid the foundation for the Bergen School of Meteorology. Now, see, vortexes are what you get. That's what you know. That's what hurricanes are. They're they're like uh, vortexes. He was the originator. He was originator of improved and more sci- of improved and more uh, uh, scientific weather service. After uh, you know, and and he worked with his son on this, Jacob. And on, from 1926 until his retirement in 1932, he held a position at the University of Oslo. Uh, where he just continued to work on weather modeling. He was elected a member of the Royal Academy of Sciences in 1905. He died in 1951 of congestive heart failure. They actually named a couple of craters uh, on him. There's the Beherkness Crater on the moon and the Beherkness Crater on Mars that were named in his honor. So he's the man who laid out the fundamental equations that are used for climate predictions Mm -hmm. and the modern theories are based on his work. Cool. So there, you know, everything you want to know about the father of weather forecasting. And we're going to have an extensive discussion of hurricanes and weather yes. coming up. So if you're interested in that stuff, stick with us. But now it's about time to turn what's in your head into something in your stomach. Possibility to win free lunch coming up on the Pop Quiz here on Tech Talk Radio. Heard on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 820A. I'm sorry, we haven't done that in a long time. 1500 AM, 105, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2 on the web at stratford.edu. And you can watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app to your device. Follow us at WFED Tech Talk. And you may get a chance to watch me kill myself on a bird scooter coming up in the next segment. We'll be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio 
IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell. The security guard at the front desk, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Jim Russ. Happy Labor Day weekend to you all, and thank you for tuning in to Tech Talk Radio this Saturday morning. In Profiles in IT, we just finished talking about Wilhelm Freeman Korn Bjorkness, who was a Norwegian physicist and meteorologist. He did a lot to found the modern practice of weather forecasting. Today's pop quiz question, as a result of his work, Bjorkness had two craters named after him. Tell us where either of them are located. Well, Jim, you dug deep for that one. If you know the answer to that really tough question, now is your chance to pick up your device, give us a call, and win a free prize. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're waiting for the first snow of the season in Canada, Give us a buzz on the wild card line. 
877-936-9333. Of course, for everyone else, anywhere else, you may dial us on the ever-popular yet undependable international line. 877-936-39333. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for price distribution and crowd control, standing by to take your calls. So, dial now. Once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. Amazon wants to stop selling items as a loss. Now, Amazon is rethinking its strategy for things that are just too bulky or too heavy to ship. They have an internal name for it called Can't Realize a Profit. Can't Realize a Profit. C-R-A-P. So they want to eliminate As all... As opposed to can't get a phone on the air, which is key yeah, that's and whatever. Right. <laughs> can't Realize a Profit. So they call it C-R-A-P. They want, to get, <laughs> they want to get all the crap off the website. I think that's what I'd call our phones. Can't... Yeah. <laughs> Same same acronym. <laughs> now, things that are that they that they refer to as crap, uh, CR can't realize a profit, are things like bottled water, paper towels, snack foods that all sell for less than fifteen dollars, and they're very heavy or very bulky to ship. Interesting. So Amazon's trying to focus on more profitable items, and it wants to get rid of all the crap from its website, and they want customers to buy less <laughs> crap online. I, you know, I think Amazon just it really enjoyed coming up with that Didn't acronym. You tell can't that can't buying, realize a profit. Tell Marion to stop buying less crap online. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, I'd, you know, I'd be in trouble. I'd be you in may, trouble. So what they what they so what they try to do is they 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 try to like if it's something that is cheap they they, they try to make you buy maybe twenty of them at once so it's it's more profitable and and things that just can't be shipped. Uh, profitably what they do they just have the they just let them be shipped by the third party so if the store wants to sell you water they, they'll let them ship it and then amazon won't won't take the loss on the shipping mm-hmm. okay let's talk about starlink update remember uh, a couple of weeks ago amazon launched 60 satellites which were the first part of their of their global internet connection and they, they want to provide Internet to the world via satellite. And so they, they sent their first 60 up. They launched all 60 in one, in one flight. And uh, all 60 of them have, have deployed their solar arrays. They communicate with each other so they don't hit each other. They actually have small uh, propulsion systems on board. So now they are very slowly moving into a higher orbit. Uh, it'll take them three to four weeks to get into a higher orbit. And so they're gradually moving in and... Uh, and um, and SpaceX has has announced that actually they're all working and they're all adjusting themselves very well. So uh, many of them have already deployed their broadband phased array antennas. They've got the solar cell uh, solar panels pointed at the sun, and everything's working perfectly. Now astronomers are worried about all these satellites because eventually. Um, uh, SpaceX is going to launch, you know, hundreds of these yeah. things They're all over the whole world. And astronomers that do this deep space imagery, what happens is that they might they might leave an exposure of one part of space for, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, because they've got to capture a lot of photons. And if one of these satellites goes through the field of view, it totally ruins the picture. So a lot of astronomers are a little concerned about these devices because they – they are. You can see them in the. You can see them in the in the night sky because they are not. They're they're low Earth orbiting, orbiting, and they are 
they're reflecting the the sun. So you could, you, when they right after they deployed them, you go out at night, you could see a whole line of these things. They're all in a line now. What uh, SpaceX is saying, they're going, once they get uh, fully deployed at their at their ultimate, um, you know, that they're at their ultimate orbit, they won't be that visible. And right in the beginning, I think the um, the the solar arrays were pointed in a way that they got a big reflection. So now they've been redeployed toward the toward the sun, and so they said there's there's not as much reflection coming from this. So. SpaceX said the astronomers shouldn't have to worry, but they're still worried. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday morning on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2, on the web at stratford.edu and federalnewsnetwork.com. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Now, I got, today I got to the uh, studio a little bit quicker, and I decided to ride around on the bird on the way to the studio this morning. Uh huh. And and we have we already have theme music for you. Oh yeah. So I uh, I I'd already had my ba- I had already had my account. So I found a bird scooter. Uh huh. And I've been tooling around the sidewalks around the studio for about half an hour on this uh, little scooter here, uh-huh. having just a lot of fun. And they go fast. They do go fast. When you're on the sidewalk, you can get up to 15 miles an hour, which is too fast for me. But 15 miles an hour on the roadway is a little bit too slow for the road, so you don't know where you're going to go. But I brought the bird to the studio, and I did what you're not supposed to do. I brought the bird into the studio with me. I didn't leave it outside. No, you didn't. Okay, so what we're going to do now? We're going to try to uh, we're going to try to ride this thing down the hallway. So I'm Jim, gonna is gonna, Jim is going to ride this <laughs> this right, thing down the hallway. He's going to bring it over. He's going to bring it over, and I've got I've got to scan it and uh, and open up the account right now. It's beeping because it's it hasn't been activated. And it's oh. so you just have to lift it up. Lift it up. Well, no, you can just pu- push it over. I did, well, you know, there's a lot of resistance on this. Oh thing. yeah, they. So now what I'm going to do? Just a minute here. Okay. I need I need to scan this. Oh, you, need to, you need to scan the machine. I've got to scan, scan it here. Just now I'm. Let's see. I'm. Where is it? 
Right here, right? The oh, yeah, QR yeah. code. I'm scanning the QR code now. I'm going to unlock it. It's unlocked, okay. and you're ready to go. And this is this is the throttle here. Oh, right there. Okay. That's the throttle. Okay, don't, don't, and this don't, is the brake. Oh, that's important to know. Okay. Okay. So, so now. Periscope. Now Jim is Jim is now on the scooter. I, if he hits that throttle in here at 15 miles an hour, he's going to crash into the wall. Hey, he's gone. He's gone down the hallway. He's not doing anything. No, it's. No, it has to. It, he's you, not doing anything. Well, why don't you come back here I'm and I'll. Coming back. Yeah, you come back. I'm going to test it because it shows that it's actually oh, active. God. <laughs> no, just just a minute here. All right, you you take. I, okay, I will, now now see this is the thing here. I will do the 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 play by play of this. Oh, this ought to be. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's What's Marianne's number? So yeah, when you hit the is, wall, I can call her. This is this is. You know. You killed it. You killed the no, bird. No, I'll bet that it won't. It won't run. Inside, inside of a building without GPS, it won't, it won't do it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna lock this thing now because I, I, I paid a dollar for that. But oh man, that's no good. So what, what happened was we tried to ride it inside. Apparently, this thing, this thing, it's gonna blow up now. This thing, oh, we canceled the ride, so it was, it was the, the ride was canceled, but it wouldn't go. When we were inside without the GPS well, on, no it isn't any fun. So after the show, we're gonna we're gonna t- take it out. So this this is actually quite a bit of fun. I was riding around for you know fifteen minutes or so on the bird before getting to the show. So now, I now, guess you could say the bird just flipped us the bird. It did. It did. and it's apparently this thing is built in. If you're inside a building and they don't have a clear GPS, it won't it won't let you ride it. That's no good. It is no good, you know. That's what a shame. Our experiment was crushed. Was crushed, crushed, crushed. You, so I guess the, the, I guess the, the message is you can't have a bird's nest inside the building. No, you can't. And, and you're not supposed to bring it in, but I wanted to bring it in because, you know, I captured a bird and I wanted to prove it. So now, anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it out. I'm, we'll take it out after the show and we'll, uh, Jim will take a, take it a spin around the block. <laughs> yeah, it's been nice <laughs> knowing all of you. 5G networks could interfere with weather forecasting. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, this this is actually quite interesting. Forecasters say interference from the 5 gigahertz radar will occur in the 24 gigahertz band. You see, the 5G that they opened up a lot, they opened up more more bands that were available. You know, there was there was leftover bands in the in the spectrum, and they and they they pulled all these together to make them available for 5G because in order to get that throughput, you need more bandwidth. And in particular, they gave 5G the 24 gigahertz band. And this is a, a problem according to weather people because that band is also used as a way of uh, – when they, when, they, when they have sensors that predict the intensity and the path of major hurricanes. Now, NOAA's acting chief – that's the uh, – uh, that's, that's our weather operation. NOAA acting chief testified in Capitol Hill that interference from the new 5G wireless radios could reduce the accuracy of weather forecasting by as much as 30 percent. Now, FCC auctioned off the 24 gigahertz spectrum in March to wireless carriers for the 5G network. The problem comes from the usage of the 2.4 gigahertz band, which is very close to the band used by NOAA. NOAA uses a band which is at 23.8 gigahertz. And this band is at 24 gigahertz. They're so close together that they say there's going to be interference. 
The concern is that the 5G radio carriers, when they use a 24 gigahertz band, will interfere with these sensors that operate at 23.8 gigahertz, and that's going to be a problem. Now, they say they might have to turn down the power, but people are kind of worried about that, and that's not a bad idea to worry about, really. You know, I'm, as you're reading this, I'm thinking mm. – uh, we have this insatiable desire and need for for bandwidth for for uh, data and everything that we're doing, and they just keep coming up with more and more ways to expand that spectrum so that to because the demand keeps keeps growing. At some point, it, 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 is there some point at which this is all going to have to stop? I mean, it's, there's a finite amount of bandwidth, right? There's only so much bandwidth, yeah. And so what? And it's bandwidth that uh, that will propagate through the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. You know, it can't be frequencies that are absorbed by the atmosphere. And so what, what what happens and where they're getting this from is the old bandwidth was used basically for analog communication. And TV. It, yeah, for TV it was it was analog, it wasn't digital, and and it was you know relatively simple signal processing. And so it, it used that bandwidth very inefficiently. So then as we've converted the digital communication and signal processing systems that use the bandwidth much more efficiently, uh, the old applications were given less bandwidth because they used that bandwidth more efficiently. And that left gaps that were then available. Those gaps were then reallocated to the cellular people for more bandwidth. And so we're actually seeing a reallocation of bandwidth, mm-hmm. which is which is all run by the FCC. It's a reallocation of bandwidth as we repurpose our uh, our basic uh, systems. We're going through the second phase of that now. In fact, the TV stations in Washington and Baltimore are in the process of moving to other frequencies. There are some TV stations that are that are not the, the big ones. Mm-hmm. They're actually going off the air. There are stations that have actually sold their frequency because it was – Worth more money to you know to sell it to the to the the, the the communications people. That's right. That's that's exactly right. So this this whole management of of bandwidth, I I think we are going to see more and more of this happening uh, around the world. And every country controls their own bandwidth. Mm-hmm. You know, so they each all have their equivalent of the federal of the Federal Communications Commission. And then in order to allocate the bandwidth, and the government makes a lot of money. They auction it off. Yep. And they make yep. a they make a boatload of money on that yeah. when they when they auction off the uh, auction off the bandwidth and so there are certain bands that were allocated say to uh, say that are just available just to civilian devices that's like the like the two point four gigahertz bandwidth and the five point eight gigahertz bandwidth that our Wi Fi that mm-hmm. our Wi Fi operates on that was allocated for all sorts of consumer devices and so that's. That's used quite quite frequently. Yeah, people don't don't realize that your toaster, your your blender, they put off RF. They put off. Yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. That's it for this week. Tune in next week for more Tech Talk Radio. Heard every Saturday at nine on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Fifteen hundred AM, one hundred three five FM HD two, and one hundred three nine FM HD two, and on the web at federalnewsnetwork.com. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. Tech Talk Radio is a presentation of Stratford University and Dr. Richard Church. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.